Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And if you're listening or joining us online, good morning to you also. We're in the gospel according to Mark chapter 10. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark, Mark's gospel chapter 10. We will stand in a moment and we will take verses 1 through 12. The gospel according to Mark chapter 10. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Please be seated. The title for this morning's consideration from this passage of Scripture, I think, is very descriptive of what's going on in my head. The title is Divorce, an Ugly Topic. I would rather preach on almost anything else this morning. I would like to hurry up and get through this message. But I have my orders, and so do you. It uh, is important that when we come to unpleasant things from the Word, that we stare them down. We face them as God would want us to face them. This is a sensitive subject for some. For some of you, if you have a good marriage and you're not involved in, you know, there's no one else in your family going through tough times... Uh, You might not see how sensitive this is, but for some of the others, this can be really a difficult consideration. And as I go through this, I hope that um, I I don't lose you on that. You you must understand what we want from the Word. If If you're someone going through these things, what we want from the Word is, Lord, how do I respond to what I am faced with? And, of course, this is sin written all over it. Divorce is the product of sin and nothing else. And to be able to speak on such a topic, the pastor has to remember what his objectives are. He is to exhort. He is to look for solutions. He is to encourage. And he is to deter. There may be things said that really have nothing to do with you now, but at some point in your life, you may have to face these things, whether on your own or someone you love or someone that you use to minister to. So it's important to keep up with it. 
keep our feelings out as much as we can and let the Spirit receive as the Lord directs. It is a very distasteful topic for a pastor to preach on. And this because of the misery and sin, or should I say it this way, the misery because of sin, especially in the lives of professing Christians, who oftentimes, very often, or too often is more like it, uh, behave as though they've never been saved. Many are too hard-hearted to reconcile, to be encouraged, to be tolerated. It does come a time with some people that you just cannot tolerate the impenitent behavior that uh, they are exhibiting. Uh, this is a topic that is sensitive for children, for adults, for victims, for violators, for pastors, and for spectators. We're all involved in this. And though you may not have gone through a divorce personally or been a uh, uh, victimized by some other sin in this category, it still concerns you. So what do we do? What do we do in the face of such difficult experiences? Be blameless, be useful, be Christ-like. That is our objective all the time, no matter what we're faced with. No matter how much it hurts, we want to be blameless before God, we want to be useful to God, and we want to be like Christ. And the forces of hell will try to get us to not be any of that. Some will claim to be blameless and useful to Christ and like Christ, but they're lying. And you will know them by their fruit. They will say one thing with their mouths, and they will do something entirely opposite with their lives. And they will do it bold-faced, too. What would the angels say about someone in a bad marriage that is adamant, that is determined to be guilty in breaking up their own home, their own marriage. What would the angel say? I think the angel would nudge one angel, another angel and say, do you believe this person? They're claiming to be a Christian, and look what they're doing. They're making no effort to be Christ-like. They're only out for themselves, which is the root. Self-exaltation. Oftentimes, vilifying the innocent spouse to the children. And there's not really much of an excuse for that. That is slander. That's what the devil is made of. Slander. He slanders in the beginning of the Bible. He slanders God to Eve. And he slanders man to God when he talks about Job. And then he faces Jesus in the wilderness and continues his efforts to slander. Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother. Now, that does not give a parent the right to get the child to dishonor the parent, the other, the spouse, the other uh, parent of the child. And again, I'm talking about professed Christians. We'll get to this, but we need to build and set this up some as we go through it so that we understand that there's no malice intended, there's no hardness of heart, at least on the speaker's part, on my part, but I want to get things done. And again, my role as pastor is to encourage the believers. And when believers become entangled in sin, if they will let me, the role of the pastor is to seek solutions, reconciliation. And for those who may not have uh, entered into these 
troubled waters, hopefully you will be deterred by listening to the word of God dispensed on, on these matters. And the role of the pastor is to uphold the scripture, no matter what people might think. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That last one catches us. Be patient with everybody? There's a few people I don't want to be patient. I don't think they need patience. They need to be a patient. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then Titus, Paul says to this pastor, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Don't take their mess. You preach the word, Titus. You preach it with authority that God has given you. And don't take their mess. Who's there? Who's the, you know, their mess? Well, the ones who are impenitent. They have weak and active believers who need encouragement. We have active believers who are guilty, but they repent. They need solutions, restoration, make things right. They can't do it on their own all the time. And then you have the impenitent, the impenitent, ignorant, guilty, who double down on their rejection. They need the deterrence. We all need deterrence so we don't become that way. So not an exhaustive attempt to address our unfortunate and ugly subject, but we have to face it. So now we look at verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And the multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And if you're joining in late online, we are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, where he arose from Capernaum. That's the last place we know him to be at in Mark's Gospel, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 33. He is, he is heading towards Jerusalem, and there they will crucify him. Pretty much his public ministry is, is now fading, and it is about the cross. In verse 2, well, well back to verse 1 a second, and he as... He was accustomed. He taught them again. He was always teaching them because ignorance of God is no benefit to anyone. And though some behave as though ignorance of the scripture is somehow a good thing, your emotions can direct you through your faith. And who really needs too much scripture? Uh, That's out of hell, not heaven. Verse 2, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him what we would call a loaded question. Uh, this question is intended to cause division. This, is a, this, at that time, as maybe even today in many circles, this was a divisive topic, hotly debated, because largely of rabbinical Judaism. Their intention was to discredit him by getting him to pick one rabbinical school of thought over the other. They're using as their platform their interpretations of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. The two dominant and different interpretations of that passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy on the law of remarriage and divorce, 
are influenced mainly at this time by the school of Hillel, who was a rabbi, who was a liberal, teaching that Moses permitted a man to divorce his wife for pretty much any reason he wanted to. If she didn't make his dinner the right way, he could divorce her. Now, there were cultural stops in place that slowed this down, yet it was still in the thinking of of many of the people and influenced their behavior. And so if you had a, a husband that just, you know, liked somebody better or didn't like his wife anymore, he could push this point and get away with it. Then there was the other rabbinical school of Shemei. And he followed a stricter interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, allowing divorce only in cases of adultery. Now, when we talk about divorce in the scripture, we are also talking about remarriage. Because that's what's going to happen. If there is a divorce, both or one of the parties are going to look to remarry. And this is a big problem today in pastoral ministry. How to deal with this the right way. Jesus will choose neither of those rabbinical schools in dealing with Deuteronomy 24 and these Pharisees who are looking to trip him up. He will go to the scripture, which they did too, but they went to their interpretation of the scripture. And he's going to go beyond their, uh, back to the very intention of God at creation. And so what Jesus has to say about divorce is too often disrespected by some churchgoers who say they are Christians. I mean, it's one thing to struggle with what he says. It's another thing to disrespect what he says, to trample what he says. And this could be true of any subject, not just this one we have before us this morning. To some Christians, when they make their vows, for better or for worse, till death do us part, it means nothing to them, even though that is based off of Scripture. And they list, they tend to list, Quite a few pathetic reasons for breaking up their homes. And when they don't find the pastor agreeing with them, they shop for a different pastor, look for a different church. They often do it under the guise of, you know, I didn't care for, you know, uh, that message today or something else or the color paint. Or they find some excuse and we need to find another church and all the while they're scheming. This happens. Scripture really, to get to the point of it all concerning divorce gives three reasons uh, why a person may consider divorce. Of course, there's death, the death of the spouse. So that's not a divorce, but that's a reason to remarry legitimately. There is uh, uh, infidelity. If one of the spouses are, in, uh, are unfaithful, the other spouse can uh, get out of the marriage, though that's not encouraged. It's not even encouraged in Scripture. Thus, we have uh, you know, the story of Hosea and Goma, uh, and they're not the only ones in Scripture. And then there is, if a Christian is married to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever abandons the Christian, then they are legitimately free. Uh, But if they are married to a believer, they do not have that option. Now this, it gets ugly after that. The egg starts to get scrambled. And they bring it to the pastor. And they hand it to the pastor, and unscramble this. And I say, I don't know how to do that. But... Still seeking solutions. The radar is always on looking for a way to not banish them and at the same time not violate the scripture. And it is an unpleasant task. I have many notes in my computer on on these things. Uh, I don't know how much. I I probably will give you none of the cases that I've faced in over 30 years of ministry. The bizarre 
the, you know, the, the, the ridiculous, just all sorts of uh, encounters with people saying, I'm a Christian and I'm getting out of this marriage and I don't really care what you have to say. And uh, oftentimes, to me, many, many times, this one villain, one, not both. And uh, I'll come back to that. And so, uh, Scripture, again, the reasons are, are stated, the three, the apostles are going to have a problem with that. Uh, it be, uh, you know, what do you say, for example, to someone who is, you take a couple, they're married uh, to someone else, and then they commit adultery with each other, and their marriage dissolves, and then they marry. It's a scrambled egg. What about the children on both sides? What do you do with them? Do you banish them forever from church? Maybe. Maybe not. This is why God said to Malachi, Malachi chapter 2, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce because, and he goes ahead, he says, for it covers one's garment with violence. He continues. It covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Remember, I'm telling you about how they come up with schemes and list all these risks. Treachery. They're trading on God. The guilty one. The one that is determined to get out no matter what. And so, when you come across a verse like that as a pastor and you're preaching, you're saying, you see faces, you see experiences. Over 30 years, they've, they've added up. I'm pretty much out of uh, marriage counseling at this point and have delegated it to the other pastors, and I'm glad about that. <laughs> They're not, maybe, I don't know. You know, you think you enter into this, you're going to fix it, you're going to help, you're going to be part of the solution. You're going to deal with two Christians that want a solution. Wrong. Wrong. Usually by the time they get to our office, it's done. There are some exceptions. These are the bare facts. Should we sweep them under a rug so you can trip over them later? Not at all. We need to understand these things. Verse 3, And Jesus answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? So he is ignoring the dominant schools. He's not, he, never, he never yielded any respect for rabbinical Judaism. It was the word of God and that was it. He didn't care about their doctrines, the doctrines of men, unless those doctrines of men were in line with what the scripture has to say. And so, he, this question, what did Moses say, taking them to the word, he said, what exactly did Moses mean when he said that? Because that's where it all goes south. Their interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Moses put boundaries on remarriage. That was the purpose of, of Deuteronomy 24. He wasn't adding permissions for divorce. He prohibited divorcing a wife and then remarrying her after she remarried and divorced that husband or he died. He said, you know, you can't go back to her. That was the, the thrust of what he was saying. If you find a problem with your wife, you end up divorced, Moses says, says, almost hypothetically. You can't be going back and forth with this. Revive the marriage after that person remarried another. They took what they focused on was when Moses said, if the husband finds something unclean about her, some displeasure, he can divorce her. That's all they heard. 
They took that and they built this doctrine. And Jesus knew that, of course. So it was not a command in Deuteronomy 24, but a, limita a limitation. And not a command to divorce or an endorsement of it. And they, so they leaped on Moses' you could say vague, comment about these things. David, King David, had grounds to divorce Michelle years later when she remarried. He said, I'm the king. They stole my wife. I never divorced her. She is my wife, and he takes her back. Hosea, he could have had Gomer stoned according to the law. He opted not to, but he took her back, and he rebuilt her as best he could. He looked to reconcile that marriage, even though... He certainly could have gotten out of that marriage. Then Joseph, uh, the, the husband of Mary in the New Testament, when he thought that Mary was unfaithful to him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, he thought, how do I, how do I get rid of her without uh, shaming her publicly and causing her you know, troubles? He was such a noble man, Joseph was. Uh, so it did not always call for a, a death sentence. Uh, the laws gave that option, but we don't see it exercised in those two men, Hosea the prophet and, and Joseph. And so you see the mercy of God. When Jesus encountered the woman in John chapter 8, who was caught in infidelity, he did not look to stone her. He sought solutions. And then there was the woman who had, count them, let's have a Sesame Street moment. <laughs> the woman that had five husbands. One, two, three, four, five. Five. He busted her. And he said, then the one you're now with is not your husband, too. He did not say, you need to be stoned. He looked to reach her heart. Going forward, going forward was his approach. I can't wind back the clock. I cannot go to each one of those lives and try to unscramble this egg. So there comes a time when, I, when we've got to go forward. Because the, the past is too damaged. And you'll get those high-minded, judgmental, self-righteous ones that will criticize whatever decision you make and when you show mercy. We, I've seen that. We've had big problems with some folks here. And we've looked to restore, and they received the restoration. And then others we've heard about criticizing the restoration. Why, why are people like that? Sin. As Gypsy Smith, an evangelist from decades ago, said, sin. You can't say it without hearing the hiss of the serpent. Verse 4. Oh, I should pause here. I did say, Lord, can you help me be humorous tomorrow? Because this is an ugly topic. And I got the sense that he said no. So, because I don't have any joke. Hey, did you hear about the pastor? I had nothing. So we're just going to go forward with it. And again, if you're squirming, it's what it takes to deal with sin. It takes, you know, it's not pleasant to deal with sickness. It's not too bad when you drive someone else to the dentist. But when you're the one being taken, it's not pleasant. I mean, there's nothing kind in the dentist's office. Even the doorknobs are wrong. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, we live in the age of gentle dental kind of a tree approach. As a kid, man, it was like, no, we're going to just do this without any painkillers just to see what happens. <laughs> Verse 4, <laughs> I'm sorry, I said no humor, but now I'm thinking about when you go to the dentist and he gives you a stick. You bite down on this. <laughs> but how is he going to get in? All right, anyway. 
<laughs> they said, verse 4, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. See, that's all. Just write her divorce. That's not what he was really going with. Moses was talking about some other things too, but nope, that's not what they wanted to have dealt with. Have you ever dealt with Christians like this? The Bible says, the Bible says. <laughs> Satan did that. He did that to Jesus in the wilderness. He did that to Eve. Has indeed God say, said. Anyway, uh, verse 4, these, they bring this up to di- dismiss the wife. Wanting to make divorce easy and convenient. Uh, they're not the same thing. Something can be easy, but an inconvenience. They wanted to make it uh, just as smooth as butter. Verse 5, And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So again, Jesus is saying, Well, your, your foundation is wrong. So everything you build on this foundation is wrong. The premise of their argument. Moses, again, uh, not to at risk of uh, repeating myself, was not endorsing divorce. But there it is because of the hardness of, you, of your heart. He gets very personal with them. He's not limiting to those that lived in the days of Moses, or they included them, but he's singling them out. Your heart's hard. That's, the, that's it. The hardness of the heart in a marriage, that's what brings the divorce. In Scripture, the heart is the seat. It's the place where the emotions and the intellect and the will all reside in the heart. It's all of you. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's where the soul resides. It's where you are. And he says, you are hard in heart. There's no compassion there. There's no agreement with God. You're adamant like stone. And as I mentioned earlier, in a bad marriage, there is often one hard Hearted spouse. Sometimes they're both knuckleheads, granted. But many times it's just one. And the one who is loveless and unkind, behaving like a devil on a regular basis, there's the problem. But will they face the problem in a sermon like this? No, they won't go to church. It's, it's un- they'll skip sermons like this, like they, like they, can, like they know they're coming or something. I don't know, maybe someone's listening, maybe you're online listening, maybe you're here in the church, and and you know you are the cause of trouble in your marriage, because you're in the flesh all the time. You're not in the spirit, you're not looking to love and to be kind, you're a critic, you attack, and when the other one shows you kindness, you exploit it in some way, you become criminal in your heart. Stop it. Stop doing that. You'll be better off, and so will everyone else around you. Why should everyone, why do the the lights dim when you walk in the room? So, to be unhappy with your marriage, this is a newsflash for some, does not give you the right to sin in your marriage. Well, I'm not happy, so nobody's going to be happy. Did you pick that up from, you know, where did you get that from? doesn't come out of your scripture. Well, we're incompatible. Well, that's no excuse. You really don't have any excuses. And Jesus is going to button that up. 
Again, Hosea did not ditch Gomer, and he had reason to. He stuck in there. Abigail ran her home as best she could in spite of her doofus fool husband Nabal. She did what she had to do. And the evidences of that is when Abigail spoke to the servants, they moved. They did what she told them to do. She kept that home in order in spite of him. Yeah, then you'll hear, well, so you're in a marriage session and, and the good spouse will say, well, I know I have my shortcomings. And you want to say, stop it. Everybody's got them. That's nothing to do. You've got a wide margin here. So you mess up every now and then. Who doesn't? Well, I mean, I'm the exception because I'm a preacher. So, Bathsheba, she was the problem in her marriage, not Uriah. See, well, it can be one-sided. That's my point. Because we get this thing in our head, well, you know, they're both sinners and they both can't be doing everything. It's got to be both of them. There's two people to mess up. No, it's not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is not. And then these folks, again, will pretend to be Christ-like and loving when they go to church and they go home and they're monsters. And they're too slick and stone-hearted to admit it and get caught easy. And this is unfortunate, but you need to know this happens. There's two sides to every story. And sometimes one of the sides is just flat-out corrupt. There's nothing redeeming about it. There are people that have no redeeming features. It's just, you know, there's nothing nice about that person. Uh, that's a very sad thing, but it's a fact. And we say it, his part of the deterrent. I don't want to be that guy, ever. I don't want to be that person that has no redeeming features, nothing kind, nothing lovable, nothing good. And it's not that hard to be good in Christ this way. And anyway, uh, verse 6 keeping in mind those who blame others for their ignoring God's word and being hard-hearted, and that's what they do, blame somebody, blame the other spouse. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. See, he's going past Moses now. Paul does this also. He says, listen, since the beginning, the man is the head of the home. I will not suffer a woman to usurp authority of the church. For And he goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that takes out the cultural argument. Well, the culture was different. Well, this is the culture we're going with, the one that God is, his intention. And God's intention was that the, male and the, woman, the, the man and the woman would complement each other through companionship. This is the primary reason for marriage is companionship. Other things, those, those secondary children, they're secondary, important, but, but secondary. Companionship is number one. You break that part up, then everything goes bad. And divorce exists because sinners just don't want to listen to God, but not because of God. So Genesis 1, 21 is where he's, create, uh, where he's referencing God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, it does not, a side note, to take a little break from the marriage thing in the day we live in, it doesn't make me a bigot in the eyes of God to disagree with homosexuality and her militant advocates or this new bunch that's coming up that don't know if they're male or female. I mean, it's almost comical, but it's not funny. I have here in my hands this uh, form from the Department of Health in the state of New York where they don't know how to vote governors for governors, but we're not too good either. But anyway... 
This is the COVID-19 immunization screening consent form. And so on the first line, well, after your name, is you put in your name, your recipient name and then preferred name. The great one, I don't know. <laughs> but then it's current gender ID. Current gender ID, like it changes. So they have W for woman girl, TW for transgender woman girl, M for man boy, TM for transgender man boy, MB for non-binary person, GNC for gender non uh, I was kind of off the page, conformist, I guess. Q for not sure slash questioning. I don't know who I am. <laughs> well, how can you not? I mean, really. This, but, but someone's told them they can be like this. You can be like this. I can. Anyway, and some of you are getting, mm, I don't like you. Duff, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not very loving. Why? Because I'm telling you you're stupid when you are. That, that makes me not loving. You're not loving. Or smart. NR, choose not to respond. GNL, gender not listed. I would be offended. I'd say, wait a minute, where's Martian? <laughs> then there's an asterisk, gender pronouns, write in by client's name. Then there's another box right after this one, sex assigned at birth. Why? Why? You got everything up top. So it has male, female, intersex, which is a possibility, uh, and that's a legitimate one. Uh, and then uh, sexual orientation not listed. Why do they have all of this? Because they want people to honor this behavior. It's the only, it's irrelevant information. Why does any, you need a shot, you want an immunization shot, why does anybody have to go through this? Because you have to be brainwashed. And we don't only want recognition, we want you to honor us. Not enough that Caesar thinks he's God. You have to put incense on his altar to honor him. You can't say live and let live. You have to bow down and say there's something noble about this stuff. Yeah, there is if Satan is your God. And so this is the kind of stuff that gets us censored now because there's no longer free speech, uh, at least not according to the tech world. Free speech is evil. You have to conform and agree or you are censored. So again, this does not make me a bigot because I side with God. And uh, I can reject your sin without hating you. Uh, but it won't help you if you persist in your sin. This, um, God has told us to love people who are being tripped up by Satan because we wouldn't love them otherwise. We have to be commanded. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Jesus says to us, listen, you're going to encounter people that you're going to not like. But I need you to love them and want them saved, and do what you can do to be part of the salvation process. Because if he said that you can hate them, then we would be like Islam and try to destroy our enemies. And you may say, that's a bigoted statement. I'm just telling you like it is. Uh, anyway, 1 Corinthians, looking for a reconciliation, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, 
nor revilers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. These are the impenitent ones, not the troubling, troubled ones, not ones that struggle with these things, the ones that don't care what God says about these things. And the church comes along and says, listen, this kind of behavior has to be faced and not promoted, not honored. I've worked in an industry where it was a dishonor to not be at the bar at lunchtime. Why don't you go with us? You don't like us? As <laughs> a matter of fact, not when you go there, and I don't. A.W. Tozier said, future historians will record that we of the 20th century, that was written in the 20th century, had intelligence enough to create a great civilization, but not the moral wisdom to preserve it. That's why Christ is going to draw the line and come back. Because of the lawless of, lawlessness of many, uh, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. So this, re, this gender re-identification, it is sin. And some of you sit here, maybe, or listen, and, and you don't like hearing that. Why not? Why, why don't you like that? Because the world has got its talents in you and is sucking your life from you. That's why. Verse 7. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. God made them to be together as a unit. And husband and wives have no right to go devil on each other. Not what God intended. Proverbs eleven twenty nine: He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. And the fool will be the servant of the wise of heart. Now where Jesus quotes this Old Testament verse, a man shall leave his father and mother, leave as in forsake if necessary. If they become a problem and start dividing the marriage, then you know what? Then I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't allow that. You behave yourself, we can keep the doors open. But if you misbehave to the point where you're breaking my marriage, I've got to shut you down and protect my marriage. And joined, cemented together which is necessary. Remember Adam's words when he was given a wife, Genesis 2. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. There was more to it than Adam saying, She shall be called woman. There was like, Whoa, whoa, this is nice. This is flesh of my flesh, bone of my Who? This is nice, God. That's what was going on there. We know that because he made the blunder of being so endeared to his wife that he disobeyed God. And uh, so we learn. We, are, we look for the deterrence. Verse 8, And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two. Now, the early church had to deal with polygamy. That was a problem. People with multiple wives were... And children from these wives were coming into the church. The early church did not put them out. They just drew a line. Okay, don't keep doing this, okay? You, you got your nine wives? No more. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, the Bible says these two shall become one flesh, not these three or these four. Polygamy is never something God endorsed. It's something he had tolerated, and we're not going to get into that at the moment. But... The new church, as I mentioned, had to deal with so many problems that were foreign to the experience of these apostles who came out of Judaism. And they did it in a very good way. And so the New Testament church today has to look for solutions to people who have made a mess of their lives according 
to the scriptures. Verse 9, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, God intends marriage to be permanent. And pastors are not to help divorce. You know, okay, I encourage you to get a divorce. We don't do that. Uh, we must labor to uphold Scripture. Galatians 6, a beautiful verse. Every Christian should know this verse, especially if you tend to be critical of others. And if you're critical of others, I'm being critical of you. No, I'm not. <laughs> Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, some will provoke you, and so that gentleness goes away. <laughs> that not, you know, you can't give in to that. I've done it, and it has not worked out well. Uh, some in marriages provoke the other one. You they provoke them, and then blame them for being provoked. That cheap stuff is that. So, uh, you know, coming to the pastor looking for loopholes to get out of a marriage is not advisable. I find when a Christian is considering divorce... They're already cutting ties with what Jesus wants. Uh, again, uh, anyway, verse 10, in the, <clears throat> he continues. Jesus has finished speaking now with the Pharisees. Verse 10, in the house, the, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. They were disturbed by this, this permanence in marriage. Matthew says this, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better to not marry. And they said, look, if marriage goes bad and I can't get out of it, I don't want to get married. And Jesus said, <laughs> he said, well, there are those that can do that because from birth they don't have this attraction to the opposite sex. There are those that are forced to be eunuchs, and of course, then they lose that attraction. Then there are others that just have enough willpower to, uh, such as Paul, for example, uh, that uh, they can go in ministry and that's not an issue. Otherwise, you're stuck. And that is just the fact. And so then you have to say, okay, I do have this attraction. I, I want the companionship. I desire it. Nothing wrong with any of that. Okay, commit yourself to make it work. That's what the vows are for. You are committing yourself to make it work. Now, again, this is painful to some of you who may have been, you know, victimized. Or you may have been the, the violator. Well, what are we going to do to fix it? We're not looking to condemn you. We're not looking to hurt you. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are behead, is the, which are ahead, not behead, which are ahead. That would be bad. Jesus held a very high standard, permitting divorce only in the most extreme circumstances, and they were disturbed by that. 2 Corinthians 5. Here are our marching orders, Christians. Reconciliation. Paul says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Don't let that be missing from your Christian toolkit. The ministry of finding solutions. He says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, some will make it impossible. You cannot reconcile them. They just, uh, just rebuke, and that's it. Because of their hard heart. 
They're impenitent, and there's nothing you can do. But then there are others that, you know, I sinned, Pastor. I really blew this, and I blew it terribly. All right, let's see what we can do. Uh, sometimes you just can't, because there are others involved, and you, you say to them, look, you're going to have to fix this, but you've got to fix it in another church. You can't do it here. We love you. God has forgiven you. But the people that you have violated are here. And now we have another conflict, and you, sometimes you just, you just can't. Uh, verse 10, I'll come back to that. Uh, verse 11, so he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. So Jesus is not backing down because they don't like it. He never backed down because, are you two going to leave? He said, are you also going to leave? Because others have left me before for preaching what, I didn't, what they didn't like. Here is a fact. If a pastor says, I make mistakes, I am not perfect. Everybody says, amen, we saw that. <laughs> they say amen. If he proves that he makes mistakes, some don't give him the benefit of the doubt or the mercy. That's it. He said that, oh, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. Anyway, I had to get that out. I carry it around with me a lot. <laughs> so, knowing the scripture does not make one a Christian. As we mentioned, Satan knew the scripture enough to quote it to Jesus, and it, he certainly wasn't a Christian. And I say this because there are those that try to hide behind their knowledge of the Bible to justify their trampling of the Bible. It's crazy, and people, they follow, they, they believe them sometimes. They're stubborn, they're disobedient, they're defiant, they're self-willed, they're sinful, they're unchristlike, and they are slick. Else they wouldn't get away with it. And others, you know, the person that just wants everything to work out, that's living in, you know, wonderland somewhere, just kind of enables them to be this way. An evil, vicious husband and mean, non-submissive wives. So long as they stay that way, there's a problem. And again, I'm saying these things to deter any would-be violators. I'm saying these things this way to cause the guilty to say, I better mend my ways. And to cause the others to stop cutting slack where slack does not belong for those who trample. So I, I can't agree with you. I think that you're trying to get out of your marriage and you're wrong. I love you. I care about you. But I do not agree with you. It's okay to do that. You may be attacked for that. You even may be physically attacked for that. Uh, but that is uh, what it is. The many times they're just flat-out liars, having no intention of submitting to God's word while they're quoting it. Now, I will have to add this. This is very important. Many churches impose a lifetime sentence on celibacy for those illegitimately divorced. You can never marry again. Because you were the problem of the first marriage. Well, that works very nicely on paper, and this has something to do with Moses, what Moses was saying in, in Deuteronomy 24. Even, if they repent, if they genuinely repent, what do you do? You, you have to look again for... I should have named this message solutions to ugly problems. Um, you cannot ignore the anguish caused by uh, the failure in a life, and you cannot ignore that there's a lot of life remaining to be lived. And you cannot slap on people sentences that they have no way of fulfilling. What we could do, treating a penitent soul that way, is send them into the arms of the world. 
or to a heretic church that will show them more acceptance than those who are thinking through the word. You say, what basis do you have for this pastor? Matthew 18, 18. Jesus, speaking about authority, says this to his apostles. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Paul exercised this when he got out into the Gentile world. He said, you know what? You want to eat shrimp? Have it. There's none of these restrictions on food. You want to be a vegetarian? Fine. Be a vegetarian. It has nothing to do with your faith. These things are useless against the indulgences of the flesh. The Jews hated him for this. But Paul was given this authority by God to bind and to loose bad doctrine from good doctrine, application of the word from misapplication of the word. Or else we would all be just back in Judaism. A church that takes too hard a line on divorced, illegitimately divorced people, again, forces them to uh, go against the urges that they cannot shut off. You cannot say to someone, you can never marry again, and that's final. However, if the person is penitent, you can say, you can't come here. If you are not admitting your sin, you cannot come in here holding up your arms to God, love, telling him how you love him, how holy he is, while you are thumbing your nose in his face at the same time. And we happen to know it. Now you make us perpetrators along with you. And so, these diff- difficult things. Uh, you guys, after a sermon like this, hearing about how pastors have to deal with broken marriages and restoration of Christians, you ought to be picketing outside this church for a raise for your pastor. (laughs) Big signs. We demand a raise. And pictures like Mao and Stalin all over the place of the pastor and white patent leather. Anyway. (laughs) This is so stupid, right? Illegitimate divorce can proliferate adultery. It can spread it if these things aren't handled the right way. It can give cause to it. And that's what we're trying not to happen. Banishing them forever from ever worshiping again is not the solution, even in Christ. Otherwise, he would have said, yep, she's caught in adultery. I'll throw the the first stone because I have no sin. He did not do that. The mercy of God. The solutions we have to find. Uh, Verse 10. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So he leaves it. He says God's standard is high. But he doesn't abandon the topic. He leaves it for his apostles to struggle through it. (laughs) And that they did. And remember, they had some big problems. When Paul wrote, look, I'm almost over time. I'm well, I won't. When Paul wrote Corinthians uh, to the Romans, he was writing what he saw in Corinth in that first chapter. And he had to deal with that in his church. In verse 10, and if a woman divorces her husband, she remarries another, she commits adultery. I close with two scripture verses. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Colossians 3.19. Ephesians 5.22. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. When husbands are bitter, it makes the marriage awful. When wives will not submit, especially to a husband that is, you know, I'm I'm standing up. This is my home. I'm the head of the home. And she's fighting him every step of the way. Oh, man, better to sleep up on the rooftop, Solomon said. 
they're equally bad, male, female, can be equally bad. So, any believers that are exposed to these things must be ready to submit to God's word and look for the blessings. Whatever things are true and just, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, concentrate on those things. And those who will not submit, keep the door open if possible. Perhaps later they will. But until they behave, they must be treated as those who are incorrigible. Let's pray. Our Father, you don't pass over these things. You call us to consider them. You do not hide them and pretend that they don't exist. And you recruit everyone. The children are involved. All believers are involved, the innocent and the guilty alike. We're in this together. And as we go through these things, these awful and ugly problems, may we go through them and be blameless. May you not find us sinning. May we be useful to you, not part of the problem. May we be a benefit, even if it just means holding our tongue. And may we be Christ-like, that you could be glorified. May we not be self-righteous, false-minded, judgmental. But may we look to be the way you want us to be. And those who are struggling with this, Lord, if they're listening at some point in the future or this morning, may you do as only you can do, minister to them from the inside out encouraging them, exhorting them. And if there are any that are guilty, may their hearts soften. May they turn around and repent that times of refreshing may come. If you've been listening and hearing what the Bible has to say, and you're not a believer, but you want to be a believer, because you recognize some way, somehow, that God is speaking to you, even in the midst of such an ugly topic as this, then you need to open your heart to God and invite him in. He will not force himself on you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, I repent. I change sides. I want to be on your side. I confess, I admit that I break your commandments and your laws. And I come to you to be forgiven because only you have the power to forgive. Only you can lay down the commandments. There's nowhere else to go. And I ask that you would forgive me and be my Savior from this day forward. And I ask that you would be Lord over my life and make me useful to you from this day forward. Now, Father, if any have made this prayer this morning, may they uh, not be ashamed to share it with the pastors after we dismiss. And these things we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.